our path isn't always planned out from a young age. Sometimes it takes a young man lacing up his cleats for the first time at age 16, and that turns into an opportunity that he gets to live out a dream as a collegiate athlete, opening endless avenues and adventures for him to finally reach the podium. Sometimes you don't find your path and it finds you. My conversation today is with a phenomenal young man raised by a great community of wonderful humans. His mother's an attorney. His father's a pastor, recently appointed as a bishop. This young man uses knowledge and competitiveness in sports to excel as a collegiate athlete and eventually springboard himself into a dream career with ESPN. Welcome to At The Podium. Hello again, and welcome to At The Podium with Manuel Amesqua. I'm a financial advocate, a CEO, father, husband, and massive sports fan. I'm obsessed with encouraging people to dream and attack their unique vision for life so they can inspire others to do the same. I built this podcast to share the stories of high performers and help convert their stories into lessons to help you get closer to your hopes and dreams. Folks, today my guest is Mo Ways, Mo Ways Than One, a native of Beverly Hills, Michigan, and hailing from the great Detroit Country Day High School. Mo played college football at the University of Michigan with some of the greatest players of all time coming out of the big house. He finished his career at Cal Berkeley. His dedication to the daily grind and his high level of intelligence on and off the field led him to an incredible career at ESPN today. I loved hearing Mo talk to me about growing up in Beverly Hills, growing up as the son of an attorney and a pastor, having two competitive older siblings. His sister was the actual standout athlete in that family. And I think there's just so many golden lessons and tickets that Mo's going to share in his story today. Enjoy my conversation with Mo Ways. Folks, I'm so excited to be here with my friend Mo Ways number nine, hailing out of Detroit Country Day, Beverly Hills, Michigan, played at Detroit Country Day, war number nine, University of Michigan, war number 85. He is now working as a senior business analyst for the Walt Disney Company ESPN. That's right. You heard it here, ESPN. And super excited to have Mo with us today. I want to start off by learning the story and sharing it with our listeners of how you went from Maurice ways to Mo. Thanks for having me first off on the podcast. I've seen episodes before and I'm glad to be here, but I was seven years old at the Franklin Athletic Club (laughs) (laughs) and I was playing basketball. They had the summer league games going on and my coach, Greg Russell, he said, I'm going to start calling you Mo ways than one. And I was seven. I said, cool, you know, whatever. And lo and behold, it stuck. And I went from more ways than one to more ways to Mo. And here we are today. I never thought that Mo would travel with me as far as it has. I thought it would stop, you know, as a kid and then stop when I got to high school. That's why I playing football and my name's kind of stuck, you know, being an athlete. I'm like, well, when I start my career at the football, I'm definitely going back to Maurice. And here we are. I'm at ESPN. My actual email is Mo Ways <laughs> <laughs> at, at ESPN. So. That's my name. It's here to stay. That's awesome. What do Mr. Well, Bishop Ways and Mrs. Ways call you? Maurice. Maurice, <laughs> especially my mom. She 
said, your name is Maurice. That's what I'm calling you. That's who you are. Everyone else calls you Mo, but to me and you, you're Maurice or baby boy or her favorite. Baby don't, tell my, boy. don't tell my siblings or her favorite. But yeah, now I'm Maurice at home with my family, man. So I love the best of both worlds. I've said it to you because I'm just not one of these people to hold back the things I think and feel about someone else. I've said it to you. I'm like, man, I'm so impressed with every interaction we've had in the last couple of months. You shared a little bit about your family as you came in, things I didn't know before, but share with our listeners a little bit about your childhood growing up in Michigan. You're a family of powerhouse athletes. Your older brother goes to Brother Rice. You choose Detroit Country Day. Walk us through the story of your childhood. So my sister, actually, she went to Country Day as well. And she played varsity basketball all four years. She was the real athlete. She was obviously. the real one. She was the yeah, real one. She, she has three state titles. They, <laughs> what? Uh, they lost their senior year to Flint Powers. And so I grew up at Country Day, honestly. So I was the first ball boy. Coach O, that's my guy. I was in the locker room. I was a ball boy. I had the towel, the towel boy, giving them water, the whole nine. So Country Day was like home for me as a kid. And so I've always wanted to be a part of that community. And when it was time for me to choose a high school, I was like, you know, either Brother Rice, Country Day, Southfield Christian. I was there for middle school. And it was something about Country Day's tradition of excellence with sports and academics. And at the time, you had Ray McCallum there and Chris Fowler and Benny and oh, Kenny Knight and Amir oh. Williams. <laughs> the list went on and on of all these great Division One football and basketball players, man. I want to be a part of that culture. And I went to you know Country Day instead of Brother Rice. And I think I made the right choice. I'll tell you, when we first moved to Michigan as a family from Chicago, I remember touring Country Day a year into our life in Michigan. I'm like, man, I, I hope my children go here someday. Country Day changed my life for the better. I have about 12 to 13 legit family friends, like friends who became family. I met eight of them at Country Day. So my family, like friends turned family, Yeah, I met them at Country Day. Coach Mack, Mrs. Keeler, Mrs. Winkley, not to name call, but it's so many people in that community, Mrs. Dixon, that the Mann family, I've had legitimate people who I still talk to today who have impacted my life in the most positive ways, both my peers, coaches, teachers, nurses, whoever it may be, the lunch ladies. Country Day is, is literally a home. I look back on my time there and I mean, I had an amazing time, had so much fun. I missed the lights on Fridays come out with my guys on the field and the basketball tournaments we had, the winter classics and the Keener classics and playing Chicago or and all those games. It was an amazing four years being a country day. First of all, I think people should always give praise and recognition to whoever yeah. they want. Give them their flowers, right? Because I don't think people give flowers no, enough. Exactly. They Fair. don't. They don't. But I love the fact that you mentioned the lunch team. My children, Ava and Atlas, hey, Country Day, if you watch this episode, I'm <laughs> telling you, my children, Ava and Atlas, yeah. they talk about how wonderful Amazing people. the people are in Amazing the cafeteria people. who take care of the food services at Detroit Country Day. My children, they give out flowers a lot because we try to operate from a position of positivity, right? Be a water fountain, not a drain. But they always talk about how wonderful the people are in food service. Everyone at Country Day, whatever role they play there. They genuinely love what they're doing. I really believe that. Even through the early mornings to the long stretches to finals, whatever it may be, it's always a good time, no matter where you are, the lunchroom, the classrooms, in the library, on the field, whatever it may be, it's always just a fun time. So I'm very, very thankful for the impact that Country Day had on my life and I hopefully that on theirs. 
I want to unpack a conversation topic around your parents, Bishop Ways, Mrs. Ways. You and your siblings were raised by a pastor and an attorney. Help our listeners understand what it looks like to grow up in that home. So my parents raised us on three principles, salvation, education, and vacation. That was how we raised. So that means salvation, God first, you know, having a spiritual connection with the Lord, education, taking school seriously, getting great grades, learning, reading, always being thirsty for knowledge, and then vacation, exploring the world. We took a family trip every year, whether it was to Six Flags, Disney World, a cruise out the country. Like as I got older, the trips got better and better. But my parents were very serious about those three foundations. And so our household was always very lively. We we're all competitive. We will always play sequence as a family. It's a team card game, man. We will always play competitively every night. We would play Uno. We would play Tonk. We would play Spades. We always just found games to play and we had traditions. So on Christmas morning, we would have church at 11, but we wake up as a family at like eight o'clock, 9 a.m. and read the Bible story open gifts, pray, then go to church, come back, have dinner, and watch basketball all day, right? Christmas Eve, on my dad's side, we do Secret Santa. And everyone picks a name, you get a gift. We have like a whole potluck dinner at someone's house. We're there all night having fun, dancing, you know, memories, man. So family is legitimately the most important thing to me because of how I grew up in, in my family. And my parents, they mean so much to me because they both have raised me to be the man I am today. My dad is like, he's the example guy. Like he's gonna like follow me. I'm gonna teach her how to do it by through my actions, through my example. And my mom, she's more verbal. Let's talk about it. How do you feel? What's going on? What's the what's the strategy? So having those two examples, having those two processes to see it and hear it, it makes the line a little bit straighter for us to follow. So I'm happy for my dad. He just became a bishop last year. My mom, you know, she's a lawyer. She's helping my dad out. You know, you know, traveling with him. So it's just amazing to see my parents being loved on from so many people around the country. I know who they are to me in my household and to my siblings and to my family, but to have people calling me and say, hey man, I'm coming for your dad or your dad is an amazing man. It's amazing how much I benefited from them being my parents. I've been out to dinner you know, before by myself and my friends and somebody said, are you Marcus passes away? So I said, yeah, they said, I'll pay for your meal tonight because your dad paid for mine three years ago. They've sown so many seeds that I feel like I'm benefiting from and my siblings are as well. They're just amazing people. I do very much enjoy and find it very interesting to listen to how high performers and people who are positive and optimistic and generous and abundant in how they live their life, how consistent they are in speaking about their family and what a rock and foundation, whether it was really healthy or unhealthy, the bottom line is that love and affection, that unflinching commitment to that unit. It's so consistent. And I'll tell you a story. At Country Day, my senior year, it was our last home game before playoffs. It was the game before senior night. And my dad got invited to go to the White House to meet Obama, President Obama. And he tells me the week of like, hey, man, I got an invite to go to D.C. to meet the president. I know your game is on Friday, but this is the president. It's President Obama. Like, I got to go. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I get it. Definitely go. You know, the whole nine. I told my mom, I was like, I'm happy for dad, but selfishly, I'm sad he's missing my game. And it was a regular high school game. It wasn't nothing special. But before every game in college and high school, I would see my parents. And so not doing that before one of my last games, it didn't feel well. So the game comes Friday, and I'm expecting 
my dad not to be there because he did leave that morning to go to the airport. I come out and do our warm-ups. Game's about to start. I look up and I see my dad and my mom. Wow. And I'm confused. Like, I thought you were in D.C. He was like, focus on the game. We'll talk about it later. Focus on the game. Have a, have a great game. After the game, my dad was like, hey, man, I was driving to the airport. And your mom told me what you said about wanting me there. And, like, you felt kind of selfish because I was leaving. He was like, I wasn't going to miss your last game. So he wow. said he turned around on his way to the airport, called the White House, said, hey, I can't come. They're like, why? You know, he went through his whole credentials and the vetting system, everything. He was like, my son needs me. And that's my dad. Like, my dad chose me over the White House, over me and President Obama for a regular high school football game. So it's just moments like that. And that's one of many stories of him and my mom doing things like that, that even when I was at Cal, they came to every game. They would take a red eye to get to wherever I am on the West Coast, stay there for the game on Saturday, take a red eye back Sunday. And my dad would preach Sunday morning service. And they'd do that every week for every game I had at Cal. Bishop Boy is the example. Yes, man. I loved how you said that earlier, right? When you were first introducing your parents and you said, you know, he was the example. He showed us, right? Not words, but actions. Wow. I'm not going to lie. I I almost started crying. That's a powerful story, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. I want you to share with our listeners one or two incredible stories about your childhood. You were a three-sport athlete at one of the toughest schools to play three sports at. You lettered out, you had all state honors in two of the three. And I don't even know that football was your top sport because you didn't even start playing it until sophomore year. So when you think back to that time in your life, what are one or two stories that really stick out that kind of define what it was like to be Moe's and be Moe's at Detroit Country Day at that time? Going back to my parents, my sophomore summer, going into my junior year, Coach Mack sat me down and he said, hey man, Kenny Knight, is going to Illinois. Stud. Stud, right? And you know, country, we had a lineage of, of D1 receivers. Yeah. Kenny, Benny, Ashton Akins, Northwestern, Michigan State, Illinois. He was like, so, you know, you're next in line if you want it. And if not, we'll find somebody else, right? I said, I got it. So I was still playing AAU basketball, and my dad sat me down, and he said, hey, man, you're a six one six two small forward. He said, you could be that. Or it could be a six one six two receiver. Which one you think has a higher ceiling? I said probably being a receiver playing football. He said cool. He had a connection with a coach who had an Under Armour top one hundred camp in Florida. It was an invite only. Top one hundred kids in the country in my class. And my dad called him and said, "Hey man, I know my son's not on the radar, but can we get him into the camp? I think it'd be good for him." Pulled some strings, got me to the camp. So, mind you, I'm not a top 100 guy. I'm yeah. just there off of relationships. It's in Florida. We drive down to Florida, and it's me and my parents. My dad was like, yo, go out there, compete, have fun, and just see where you are on the scale. I went out there, got embarrassed. I was not at that caliber of talent at that time. And I was frustrated. I was embarrassed. I was mad. My dad was just watching. My mom was just watching. We get done with the camp, and on the way back home, my dad was like, how do you feel? How was the competition? What's your analysis? Because me and my parents, we talk about the process. Like, yeah. what the takeaways? <laughs> what did you learn? What could you done better? Let's debrief. Like, that's what we do, right? <laughs> so we're talking about it. And I'm just, I'm frustrated, man. I'm mad. So they, they let me talk, get all my emotions out. And then my dad says, you know why I brought you here? I said, no, obviously to get embarrassed, right? He said, that's not why I brought you. He said, I brought you because these are the top 100 guys in the country. Not one was from Michigan. He said, if this is the top 100, 
and you're the only guy from Michigan, when you go back home, you can dominate. You've seen what the best looks like. And something in my mind just shifted. Like, I don't know what it was when he said that, but it just it shifted. I called Coach Mann. I said, Coach, I'm serious. I'm ready. And he started to work with me on receiver drills and, and things like that. And my junior year, my first touchdown was versus Mumford. We were playing at Mumford. I was on the right side. My boy Tyler ran a nine route, threw it to me, caught it, touchdown. And that feeling of being in the end zone yes, and scoring and just hearing the crowd, it was a high that I've never experienced ever again. But I said, I need more of this. And my confidence just skyrocketed. And I started to dominate. But it, it all started at that top 100s camp in Florida that my dad took me to because he knew how it would pay dividends later on rather than at that moment. And so just having that context of, okay, just throw yourself in an environment to where you got to adjust and adapt and figure yes. out how to swim. When you do that, you now know, okay, what it takes. And it's on you to make a choice whether you want it or not. And I wanted it bad. And I went and took it. I heard a number of golden nuggets in that conversation, right? I mean, you were literally dropping golden dimes right there. One, I heard about the power of belief and advocacy. Your father believed in you. He served as an incredibly powerful advocate for you in that moment to get you access to something you probably hadn't earned yet. Yeah, for sure. Number two, I heard about the power of access (laughs) and knowing the right people. Yep. How often are we just spinning our tires in mud because we're calling the wrong people asking for the wrong thing? Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, And typically the wrong way. Exactly. Right? Your father knew how to be a man of influence as your advocate and who to call and how to ask for it and made it happen. I heard the power of patience on behalf of your parents to not just get up your rear end. Man, I see a lot of mediocre parenting today with superstar young student athletes and like just parents kind of getting up in their grill right after a game. And I'm like, whoa, okay, let me escort my children to the car because <laughs> exactly. we don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, we're not, not exactly. going to be that parent, yeah, yeah. right? And so I, I just hear a lot of poise. And even professionalism in how they treated you. You're still a child, dude, and they're showing you what it looks like to be a pro. My lawyer, my mom, and the businessman, and my dad, like, back to my childhood, we had conversations. Like, it wasn't like a- Love it. You're in trouble. I'm yelling. There was no yelling. There was no screaming. There was no cussing. It was, why did you do what you did? Why did you lie? Why did you- Yes. <laughs> when I was a kid, man, I was in kindergarten. <laughs> this is hilarious This stories. is already going to be good. <laughs> I was in kindergarten, <laughs> and we had to wear a uniform at Southfield Christian. And I hated the uniform. I hated it. It was a powder blue shirt. Dude, and you're I hated six. it. I you're ha- five. Bro, I hated it. I don't know why. <laughs> He's I, five. I hated this shirt. He's against the fashion. We're in school. We're doing arts and crafts, right? Uh. We're cutting stuff, whatever. I take the scissors and I cut my shirt. I cut a hole in my shirt. And I'm like, because in my mind, if I cut my shirt, I can't wear the shirt, obviously, right? Cut the shirt. This girl sitting next to me, she tells on me. She tells the teacher, you know, at the time it was Maurice. Yeah. Maurice cut his shirt, whatever, whatever. She was like, okay, when your mom gets here, I'm going to tell her that you cut your shirt. My teacher said that. I'm like, all right. My mom picks me up, tells her what happened. So we're in the car. So I'm sitting in the backseat. My mom's driving. It's just quiet. Usually we talk, how's your day? What's going on? But today we're just quiet. So she's like, uh, Maurice. And my mom, she asked questions that she already knows the answer to. She just wanted to see what our response is going to be. Okay, that's her parenting style. She said, Maurice, what happened to your shirt? (laughs) And I said, I was at recess and I fell on a wood chip and the wood chip (laughs) got caught and it cut my shirt. And she said, okay. And that was it. So we're still driving. 
She said, I'm going to ask you one more time. What happened to your shirt? And me being young and naive and not understanding what she was doing, gave her the same story. She said, okay. We get home. We get out the car. She lays me. She said, I'm going to let your dad deal with you on this one. It's example time. Exactly, <laughs> right? So I'm nervous and scared the whole night. Trying to go to bed early. The night goes on. I hear the garage come up and it's my dad. So I go hide under my bed and turn the lights off. <laughs> my dad comes in. He says, Maurice, get from under the bed right now. I'm like, you know where I am? So I get under the bed. He says, go in my room and pick a belt. Talk to me after. You know why I did it. You can't lie. Whatever. Okay, cool. The next day for school, my mom picks my clothes out. I'm wearing the exact same cut shirt that I wore yesterday. She was like, you cut it. You're still going to wear it, though. Matter of fact, going to wear it for the rest of the week. So every day at school, I had the same cut powder blue shirt on. And until this day, I've never cut any of my other clothes. Not even for fashion. I know like ripped jeans is in. I don't cut any of my clothes because of that day. <laughs> but that's a prime example. It's just my parents like by example, right? Yes. And just talking about it. And I learned not to lie. I learned to just be communicative and talk about what happened and be honest and things like that. Those principles and those lessons that are still with me today, that has really shaped me to who I am, man. My parents, as you can tell, they are the number one influence on my life. The reason why I am who I am, they're my why. So I'm very, very blessed, thankful for. What a gift. What a gift. I'm a huge fan of our friends at Sport of Kings out in L.A. And as a listener of this show, you've got to check them out. Sport of Kings is an L.A.-based clothing brand that was started by two surfers and longtime friends. The story's incredible. They carry a wide range of premium tees, hoodies, sweats, caps, and more. And they're designed in-house folks made locally in Los Angeles and Orange County. Samantha and Ava and Atlas say, Dad, you're either in a blue suit and white shirt or Sport of Kings. And they're right. That's about it. Don't forget, Sport of Kings is a homegrown brand focused on quality over quantity. And if you go check them out online at S-O-K-F-Y. So basically, Sport of Kings Forever Young, S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM. You'll receive 20% off your entire order. Again, that's S-O-K-F-Y dot com. And use the promo code PODIUM at checkout for 20% off. And now, back to the show. Let's try to close up the chapter at Detroit Country Day. When you look back at your time there, what's the achievement that has been the most meaningful to you as you reflect back on that time? Three-sport athlete, DCDS was having a ton of success in those days in anything that they competed in. You played with some of the greats in all sports, and you were a standout track athlete. On accident. <laughs> you know what I was doing. <laughs> what, what is one of the most meaningful achievements that you really enjoy reflecting back on today? Number one was winning my state title in basketball my junior year. We beat yeah. Detroit Community, but we beat Lance and Sexton before. That's when they had Denzel Valentine oh. and Brian Forbes. Yeah, and Denzel, man. So to beat those guys, finally, man, after my third year was a huge accomplishment. And then winning the whole thing, Bo Ziegler was at Community. So that was a big time win, man, had to finally get a ring. At that time, country day, that lineage, man, you had to get a banner. You can't go four years and not get a banner. 
that's a fail at that time, you know, how we were. Right. So to get a banner and, and basketball was, was a huge accomplishment. We fell short in football a couple of times, but I still had that bond. But the number one thing that meant the most to me at Country Day was my senior year football. We voted for captains before the season started and I wasn't voted a captain, but it didn't stop me from still leading. And we end up losing our first three or four games. And if we had lost one more game, we were no longer going to be playoff eligible. This is my senior year. Remember, we had a team meeting, brought the guys together, team only, no coaches. And everybody talked, expressed their feelings, what's going on. We were very talented, but cocky. And we thought our talent would be enough. We didn't think we had to be mentally tough and come together the team that whole nine. We had a meeting and I said, listen, fellas, I asked them one question. I said, do you believe in the resurrection? That was my question. And they said, we believe. And my point was, people think we're out, we're dead, we're gone. You know, the season's over. But do we believe that? Right? I said, do you believe in the resurrection? We went and won the rest of our games, end up losing in the semifinals, up in Flushing on a very controversial call, but it is what it is. But at our team banquet that night, Coach Mack created an award called the We Not Me Award that he created. And I was the first recipient. Wow. And that award was just saying, like, who was the most selfless guy, selfless team player on our team that put himself second and the team first. And I think week six or seven, he made me a captain because he saw my leadership throughout that year. And so I'm not sure they still do their award today or not, but for him to create their award to make me a captain. Yeah. And for us to go as far as we did, I'm most proud about that, man. That taught me how to lead without being the leader. And although I was one of the best talented guys on the team, sometimes the most talented guys aren't the best leaders. I want to be both. And so that was an honor. It's something different when your coaches and the players get behind you. That's a different honor yes. when, when you have other men who make a choice to follow you. So, yeah, I'm very, very proud of that. That was really close to my heart, just how my senior season ended and how it started. It was a beautiful journey. That's a really great story. Share with our listeners. I mean, there's so much hype. I mean, you were a celebrity in the area at that time. I mean, you were. I've asked people. So I'm like, look, I've walked that. Hey, I've walked that Hall of Honor at Detroit Country Day in three years, probably two billion times. So I know you were. Share with our listeners a little bit about what the journey looked like from Detroit Country Day to the University of Michigan. It was a journey. <laughs> it was a reality check, man, my freshman year. Everyone's the best player on a college team. That's just what it is. Like, it's Michigan, yeah. <laughs> right? So I had to get used to the intensity and get used to the competitiveness and get used to the level of excellence at that level of ball. So I had to transition, man, from being the guy in high school to now being at the bottom of the roster, <laughs> had to work my way up to be the guy again in college. But I had a great core of receivers, man, that took me under their wing my freshman year. Amara Darbo, J.U. Chesson, mm. Devin Funches, and even guys on the team, Frank Clark, Devin Gardner. Like those guys, like in their own way, took me in and kind of taught me the way, how to be a professional, how to be a top athlete, how to take care of your body, how to practice like it's a game, how to carry myself on campus. And then you sprinkle in a guy named Greg Harden, who I met my freshman year. And that's when the maturation started, going from a boy to a man in my four years at Michigan. Talk about Coach Harden a little bit. That's my guy. 
So Greg, he was like the associate AD at Michigan, but he's like a counselor though. And he worked with all the athletes in every sport and not like a therapist, but somebody you can just kind of talk to and trust to kind of confide in. He worked with Desmond Howard, with Tom Brady, Chris Webber. Any great Michigan athlete that went through Michigan, they know Greg Hardy. We did our freshman orientation with the football team my freshman year, and he just got my attention. He goes from laughing to being serious to talking loud, talking soft. Like He just gets your attention the minute he walks in the room. He's just a cool cat. And I said, hey, man, I want to learn more from you. I don't know much about you, but you got my attention. I love what you were talking about. I want to learn more. And he looked at me. He said, I'll see you tomorrow, young man. And from that, I'll see you tomorrow, young man, that was the beginning of our relationship building. And I will see him three or four times a month just to vent, to talk, just to say hello. It went from like very formal to like scheduling an appointment and things like that with his assistant bar, which I love to death, to very informal to, hey, I'm just here, G. I'm just showing up. And like, he's like a second father to me. He's really dear to my heart, man. We talk to this day, just checking in, seeing how he's doing. He got a book coming out soon in August, but Greg has been the most influential man in my life at Michigan. Him and Derek Walker, that's one another one of my mentors as well. He played football in Michigan. I would say Greg and Derek and a few others, they are really instrumental in my development on and off the field at Michigan. What are one or two of the things that he consistently did and does to show up as just a great example and great mentor to young men? He allows you to be emotional. He allows you to get it out, whatever that looks like. Crying, cussing, screaming, he lets you get it out. Once you're done, now it's, okay, what are the tangible steps to get from this place? What can you control to not feel this way? And this whole thing is he takes the power away from the game. You're more than a football player. He would always tell me, you are more ways every day you wake up. I'm like, what does that mean, G? And it took me until a couple of weeks ago, honestly. And I'm like, I get it. And what he was saying was, what I do does not define me. I'm the sauce. I'm me. I'm the secret weapon. So show up as me. And that gave me self-confidence to dress how I dress, talk how I talk, act how I act, like be authentically who I am. And then secondly, use football as my vehicle. Football gets you in the door. Football gets you into the room. How do you leverage this jersey? And I learned that from G. Control the controllables and, and give 100%, 100% of the time and how to stay sane in the insane world and don't be tripping, dipping, and slipping. Like Greg has all his, <laughs> his, his Greg-isms, man. I have so many oh. that, I, that I tell myself throughout the week because he's imparted it in me like he's drilled it in me. He lived a life to where he's made enough mistakes to where he can help you not make the same ones. Like he can see it before it happens. Like yes. I, see, I see the road you're going down. And trust me, I know what's on the other side. You don't want that. So I did this. If you don't want to do, go experience what I experienced, do this, do the opposite. And, then, and he's like, if guys listen, they listen, they don't, they don't. But you can't say I didn't tell you. So he holds you accountable to do what you said you want to do. And you can't blame anybody else but yourself. It's not always the coach's fault. It's not always the person in front of you. You play the part in whatever your reality is right now. I love those hardenisms. Yeah. Don't be tripping, dipping, and slipping. Don't be tripping, dipping, and slipping. Unpack that one really quick. So that's just like if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and there's bad consequences because of your actions, you tripping, you dipping, and slipping. I'm using that. <laughs> Don't be tripping, dipping, and slipping. Culture in the locker room, then. Man, I miss it so much. I mean, much. you played you play with some of the best. I did, man. I, I did. mean, I'm 45. 
I've watched a lot of college football in 35 years. You play with some great teammates. Man, Jabril Peppers, oh. Jake Butt, Ooh. Jordan Lewis, Samara Darbo, Frank Clark, Lavert Hill, Delano Hill, Ryan Glasgow, Joe Bowden. Oh, man. So many guys. Give our listeners three to four adjectives of how you would describe the locker room. Man, fun, hilarious, safe, authentic. <laughs> safe. Unpack that one. What happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. Conversations, actions, disagreements, whatever it may be. You don't have to worry about your things going missing, people telling on you what you're saying, getting out to the press. It's a safe space for only the guys that belong in here. And I miss that so much. You've talked to me before about people who reach down to help elevate you and mature you during your time at Michigan. As you were heading into your junior, senior season, your playing time increased dramatically. Talk to me about who did you reach back to pull up? Cole Crawford, Eddie McDoom, Brian Cole. What did you see in young men like that consistently that made you say, if I'm going to invest time, effort, love, emotional intelligence in these young men the way they did it for me, what were you looking for in them to say, this is a good use of my mind, my heart, and my soul right now? Because they had the talent, but they were trying to figure out how to use it correctly. Unpack that a little bit more. At the collegiate level, it's not always about running fast, jumping high, catching balls, making plays. It's about the mental piece. It's about if you're supposed to be two inches from the hash, that's your alignment. Are you doing that? Be two inches from the hash. Be two inches. Don't be three. Don't be one. Because those two inches are affecting someone else's route. If you're supposed to run a five-yard out, don't run a three-yard out. You won't get the first down. And it was those things they weren't comprehending. Because in high school, you can run a two-yard out and it'd be fine. You can be one inch and it'd be fine. But in college... And NFL, everything matters. Like the alignment matters. The depth matters. The release inside or outside matters. How you position to catch the ball over the shoulder. All those things are the difference between a win and a loss or a play and a misplay. And it took them time to understand that aspect of the game. But they had the skills. They were fast, could run, they could catch, uber talented. But it was the mental details they had to figure out. Any regrets? That you can think of? Zero. And that's why I have peace right now, being done with the game. Mo, when you think back to your time at Michigan, what is the most memorable moment that looking back just really gives you satisfaction about your time invested there? I think it was me speaking at Ross School of Business, Braylon Edwards, Ray Jackson, and Jimmy oh. King. <laughs> B. Yeah. <laughs> we all spoke about the reality of being a black male athlete at a predominantly white institution and kind of what that huh. stigma is for us on campus and different generations in the 90s, 2000s, and then when I was there, 2020s. And that was an amazing experience. It was the same reality almost, but it just looked differently based on the times. With social media involved and things you kind of got away with back in the day that you can't, you know, not because everyone has a camera and a phone, but the stigma was kind of still the same though. You only hear it because you play ball, or if you didn't play ball, you're probably not being college, or whatever it may be, man. Just because we're tall and kind of stand out on campus, right? Yeah. But that was an amazing experience for me, though. Once again, stepping off the field, being myself, and being in a setting to where I'm able to kind of give my perspective and give my experience on campus, man. It was, it was a great turnout. 
What's the most significant thing that you took away from your time at Michigan? The big house, man. Like <laughs> playing in front of 110,000 people. And ironically enough, it's not nerve wracking. Your first time out the tunnel, hit that banner. I mean, yeah, heart's beating fast. All the emotions, hands are sweaty, a whole nine. Once the game starts, man. It's a game. It's a game. And every point after that, it's yeah. a game. So it's not as nerve wracking as people might think. A lot of people, yeah. National television, yeah. End of the day, man, it's me versus you. And so I'm going to win. <laughs> so uh, you got to learn how to simplify the game and, and kind of bring it back to its most simplest form. And that's just a one-on-one battle every day. As that chapter in Michigan in Ann Arbor wrapped up for you, there was some unsettled business for you, right? Yeah, man. Share with our listeners a little bit about what was going on mentally and emotionally with you to, to go all the way out West. You talked about it earlier. Your parents never miss a game. Yeah. To go all the way out West to finish your collegiate career. I wanted to be in the Pac-12, man. They throw the ball. I wanted stats. I needed stats. Being in the Big Ten, you're going to run the ball majority of the time and play action here and a couple big plays, posts, and things like that here and there. But Pac-12, it's 7-on-7, right? And so for my last year, I wanted to be in an environment to where it was 7-on-7. It was a high-powered, fast-paced offense. And I wanted to get out of Michigan. I didn't want to be in the Midwest anymore. I wanted to go somewhere far and learn who I am some more, explore some different things. And Cal Berkeley was the best choice for me. Also, too, I wanted to leverage my master's degree. I wanted a top master's program to go along with Country Day in Michigan and kind of continue that excellence of, of academics. And Cal just was able to check off every box I wanted at the time. Was there any opposition in the Ways household about that decision at that time? Kind of, I would say. It okay. was like, am I making a football decision or am I making a life decision? Oh. Right? Football decision would have been going to smaller, like, Mac schools, being the guy, and running with it. Business decision and life decision was, okay, yeah, football's important, but life span is longer than your football lifespan. So how do we leverage both and maximize these seven to eight months that you have on campus? And so I made a life choice. Cal was the better life choice for me academically and athletically that has really paid dividends so many years after I've been playing. Transitioning to life after football. Share with our listeners a little bit about what you're up to today. Yeah, I'm at ESPN, working in revenue yield management. So ad sales is our main revenue driver. So I'm doing like financial strategy and analytics around NFL properties, Major League Baseball, SB Awards, college basketball, and a few others. So it's amazing to see how the machine runs and growing up, watching ESPN every morning. To actually be in the building and know what those talks are like and meet those people who are behind the scenes is definitely a blessing and a dream come true. That's wonderful. What do you like best about New York? It's fun. It's always something to do. The rooftops, the different networking events, the different musicals or plays or poetry nights or walks in the park. Like It's just a beautiful place. Just find something to do and kind of expose yourself to different ways of life. It's so eclectic. And the people that live there, how they dress, how they talk, with the food they eat, where they're from, there's never a dull moment in the city. What would you say if our office was full of a hundred young aspiring student athletes, yeah. what would the message from Moways be to them? Leverage your position right now. Being an athlete at a major university, everybody wants a piece of you. Leverage that to prolong your career after football. Meet Manny or ask you who I should talk to to meet. Get internships in a creative way. You may not have time for a month, but can I do a week? Can I do a couple of days? Read a lot of books to figure out what you want to do after football because that last play, 
I guarantee you have no say in it. You have no say in that last play. When it happens, it's there. And now you got to pivot. So if you can be as prepared as possible, when that last play happens, the transition won't be as tough. It is going to be tough, but it won't be as tough if you've done some prep work before you get there. You're not on the field anymore, but you're around football a ton. Yeah. What is the Mo ways of today doing to give back to the sport, to give back to the fanaticism, Mm -hmm. to give back to the hundreds of lessons and gifts that playing football gives young men today? Two weeks ago, I went back to Michigan. I was invited back to talk at our team networking event. And I talked in front of the team and I asked them, what kind of man do you want to be? And I challenged them because the man they're becoming is going to pay dividends as your life continues on. Like football is more than just a game. You are cultivating the man you're going to be. Disciplined, intelligent, trustworthy, honest, hardworking. All those traits you're learning as an athlete on the field is going to show up in your everyday life. And so I'm always excited. I'm always open. I'm always willing to talk to a kid who's in the position I was at that time and say, hey, man, this is what I went through. And it's always funny. It's the same struggles, playing time, injury, (laughs) you know, playbook. Always, right? It's the same process. It's just a matter of how do you navigate it in real time. And so I was able to learn so many gems after I was done playing. But if I can give those gems back to them while they're playing to help alleviate just a little bit of the mental frustration that you go through, it's a win for me. So I'm always a text, phone call, DM, inbox, whatever away for any athlete who's just looking for help or guidance or just talk something through. I've been there. I've done it. I know it. And I can definitely help you mentally figure out how to get through that. I love that you shared that casting a vision five to 10 years out. I know you always think about what the future could look like. You're a very prepared man. You're a very intentional, purposeful man. What are a few of the things that you can already see today that, God willing, will come to fruition for you five to 10 years from now? Five to 10 years from now, I'll be back around the game of football. I want to work in a front office. I want to be in that position of influence to where evaluating talent, Maybe not five to 10, but maybe you never know how God works, though. But like that's right. A GM, a president of a team of operations of being able to affect the game and like the talent and kind of what Brad Holmes is doing. Oh, but also have that personal touch point with the players and humanize the business of of sports, humanize the business of football. They're grown men. They are humans. They have families. They have emotions. They have feelings. They have responsibilities. I think sometimes because it's such a what have you done for me lately type sport that you kind of miss that personable connection within the game. So if I can find a way to get back around the game and get back in the building and contribute on the business side, but also be involved with the football day-to-days and be around that process as well, that would be a dream come true for me. Of the time that you've been at ESPN, I've got to think that there's something really unique that you've experienced or witnessed that you're like, man, this even blew my hair back. Anything that you can share? Honestly, it's every day, man, is understanding the KPIs that goes into a simple program. How do we gauge success through a Monday night football game? I mean, for us as fans, we just watch it. It's a good That's game. Right. Cool. We go to bed. <laughs> yeah, do I but, got wings? You know what I'm saying? Where right. are my wings? Did my team win? Did I hit my parlay? <laughs> like, my, my, how's my fantasy looking? Like, that's it. On the back end, there's so many 
revenue projections and KPIs, deliverables and quotas that have to be met. That's right. To continue to keep the business healthy. That's right. right? So being a part of those talks every single day and kind of being privy to information that like no one's privy to yet or that we had before the public sees it or even reading in front office sports and seeing stats that I pulled. That's right. To give to the team for the media. It's really cool to see that. Yeah, I love that. Look, really enjoyed our conversation yeah, man, today. For me, man. It was a blessing to have you fly yeah. in. Massive congrats to your entire family, Thank especially you, your father, as he's honored tonight. Thank you. Folks, you heard it here. Incredible conversation with Mo Ways, hailing out of Beverly Hills, Michigan, standout at Detroit Country Day. Again, I I think he could have been a track athlete long term. <laughs> I'm not sure how he, you know, he went football, but uh, yeah. I love it. Went and played at Michigan with some of the best to ever have played at the big house. And now at ESPN. I still think the best channel on TV. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the best channel and viewing experience on TV. Mo, sure. it was a blessing to have you, man. Thank and you, man. And thanks for the Jersey 85. Yes sir. yes, sir. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening. And thanks to my guest, Mo Ways. Connect with Mo on Instagram at Mo, M-O-E, Ways, W-A-Y-S. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to follow, rate, and review at the podium on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow the show on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Podium underscore podcast. Post about the show on social media, tag us, and we'll repost to share our gratitude. Also, as always, please consider telling a friend about the show. Friend to friend is still the best way to be an advocate for us and share these amazing conversations. See you next time.